to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our annual summer series at the movies, where we explore the spiritual truths behind some of Hollywood's biggest hits. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Happy summer, everybody. Hey, I am Pastor Tim. Let's give a big welcome to Church Online and our live locations. Glad you guys are with us. I hope you are having a great summer, making memories with family and friends. I'm so happy you're here for part three of our summer series at the movies in which we're looking at the spiritual themes behind some of this year's biggest box office hits. Now, today is a movie I'm going to guess many of you have not seen, but you need to. It is a wonderful movie called Coda, which is about a girl named Ruby who is a Coda. That stands for Child of Deaf Adults. She's the only person in her family who can actually hear. Her her parents, her brother, they're all deaf. But ironically, Ruby has this gift of singing. And so she's torn between helping her family's business and pursuing her passion of becoming a singer. It's really a wonderful family movie. You can stream it on Apple Plus. And aside from some salty language, it's very touching, quite powerful. Coda actually won the Academy Award for Best Picture and Best Screenplay last year. Now, I asked Pastor Zach Taylor to take this movie and connect it to Scripture. And today I have some exciting news. Pastor Zach is officially joining our staff here at Liquid and will be part of our teaching team going forward. So can we welcome Zach? Very excited for that. As you know, um, Zach has been a guest preacher at Liquid over the last couple of years. He's a dynamic storyteller with a huge heart for God. He actually earned his master's degree from Talbot School of Theology. And I think you're going to love to hear what God wants to teach us through Pastor Zach. And I'll let you know on a personal level, Zach and his wife, KC, they have become dear friends to Colleen and me. They are a dynamic young couple. And we have loved spending time together, getting to know their baby girl, Winter. They become like family to us. Now, they live in Florida. They're excited to make friends here in New Jersey. So just make sure you give Zach and KC a big old hug next time you see them in person. You know, guys, as lead pastor, one of the dreams that God's put on my heart is for Liquid not just to be a multi-ethnic church, but be a multi-generational church with younger voices represented on our stage. I am now 50 years old. I know it's a shock. I look 35. I know. I understand. Uh, Pastor Kyra is 40, though she'll tell you 29. And Pastor Zach is 30 years old. So 50, 40, 30. We've now got Gen X, older, younger millennials. And I just really believe God's going to bless our church as we learn from younger generations. Amen? So, Liquid, did you give a big warm welcome to our newest teaching team member, Pastor Zach Taylor. Grateful for you, my brother. So Thanks glad you so guys much. are here, my man. Yeah. Awesome. Liquid Church, it is so, so good to be back, and I cannot, cannot, cannot thank you enough for extending up your lives to my family just with open, open arms. We feel so loved and so cherished cherished by, um, by this church, and I just believe that the best days are ahead, and we cannot wait to be part of all that God is doing here in this church, all that God is doing in and through you. So thanks for allowing us to be part of your family. 
But now that we are part of the family, I I do have a bone to pick with you guys. You see, I I feel like you've kind of left me hanging just a bit. Over the last three to four times that we've been here, I've come to discover something peculiar about New Jersey that none of you had the decency to share with me. Uh, It started when I went to go fill up my rental car with gas. I jumped out of the car. I started to fill up. And that's when the death stare started to peer back at me like I'd mortally offended the gas station attendant. And the same thing happened like five times since I've been here. And none of you, not a single person in this room tweeted, texted, emailed, smoke signaled to me to let me know that you're not allowed to pump your own gas in New Jersey, and you can be fined for doing that. Um, So today, I'm going to hold every single one of you responsible, even the people online, you're responsible as well for your lack of informing me. Um, You're better than that, Liquid. On a serious note, though, it is so sweet to start a new season of ministry together, and it's an honor to be joining this family here at Liquid. Um, But as most of you know, uh, new seasons can be a little bit awkward, can't they? In fact, the day that Casey and I bought and moved into our first house together, we had a similarly awkward encounter. We had this idea that we wanted to get to know all of our neighbors as best as we possibly could. And if you know Casey at all, she's incredibly hospitable. So she went into the kitchen, she baked up the most incredible batch of pumpkin spice scones to give as a gift to our neighbors. We packed them up with bows and we headed across the street to start meeting people. And we didn't know it at the time, but we had moved into a nearly all Hispanic neighborhood. Uh, Do you know how difficult it is to try to explain and translate pumpkin spice scones in Spanish? It's hard. And I remember going to the first house, the door opens, the mom is standing there. We hand over the scones. She looks at them and looks back, and we just received the most blank and confused stare back at us. And she did not understand a single word that we said. Uh, Lesson learned that day, and Pastor Kyra confirmed this for us, that pumpkin spice scones are officially 100% the whitest treat that you can take over to someone's house. It is totally true. (laughs) But as we stood there fumbling through this awkward encounter, um, that's when the little girl peeked out from behind her mom. And come to find out, her name was Yari. And she would turn out to be a godsend in this moment as she was the only English speaker in her family. She quickly translated why we were randomly standing on their front porch. And mom graciously accepted our bakery offering, albeit with some suspicion. And as we continue our At The Movie series, our our movie today shares a very similar experience. It walks through the awkwardness and the loneliness of a young girl named Rudy, Ruby, sorry, as she struggles as a primary translator for her family. Um, the movie is named Coda. You can find it streaming on Apple TV+. And this title is really clever because Coda stands for the child of a deaf adult um, because Ruby is the only hearing person in her family. But there's this plot twist because Coda also represents a musical term, representing the incredible gift that Ruby has as this talented singer, something that her family has a very difficult time understanding. And all in all, it's incredibly heartwarming. You definitely need to check it out. Um, but there is some salty language, so make sure to watch it first before jumping in and exposing it to your kids. So before I give any more away, Liquid Church, we present to you Coda. Oh, sometimes I get a good feeling, yeah. Yeah. I get a feeling that I never, 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 never had before. 
You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. And you sing. Interesting. I've been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. Something to say? You will be required to have a hearing individual on board at all times. I can't stay with you for the rest of my life. I've never done anything without my family before. Come on. A uh, quick show of hands. How many of you have seen this movie? Ooh, not, not looking good. Shame on us. This is the 2022 Academy Award winner for Best Motion Picture. I think, or I'd like to think, we're more cultured than this as a church. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's okay. I hadn't watched it until I learned I was preaching on it. So we're in the same boat. Um, but as I did walk through it, I, I was really surprised as to why it was such a huge hit. Um, two weeks ago in this series, we covered Maverick, and it, it just makes sense to me. There's a rogue state that has fifth-generation fighters attempting to shoot down the reverse-aging Tom Cruise. We all want to see that. Like, let's be honest. There's a good guy, and there's bad guys. Last week, we watched Spider-Man. Same thing. Peter Parker is the good guy, and he has to defeat the evil bad guys that are clearly out to destroy the world. And Hollywood is, is really great at just setting tension by introducing an, an evil person or some sort of disastrous event into the storyline. But here's the problem. While those movies are very fun to watch, they don't always line up to our reality. I don't know about you, but I, I didn't spend my Thursday overcoming a cataclysmic event and saving humanity from a supervillain. In fact, as I thought through it, just the opposite. I had a hard time defining a single person in my life that's evil or or even out to get me. And that's why I believe CODA resonated so deeply with so many. It's literally everyone's story. Anyone else, anyone else out there feel like they have a dysfunctional family that's maybe a little bit overbearing and maybe a tad bit codependent? Oh yeah, all of us do. And for the most part, we're surrounded, we're surrounded by people that in their own misguided way care about us, but because of their baggage, and their background, they leave us feeling a bit misunderstood. And that's Ruby's story. In our first clip, just like a normal person, she shares a meal with her family. But watch as the family dysfunction begins to unfold around her.
What's rude is how noisy you guys are. Why is it always about you? I'm meeting people. I'm making friends. You know what? You should get out in the world, too. Tinder is something we can all do as a family. <laughs> but music, singing, no way. This is definitely not a pastoral comment about the best way to spend family time, by the way. But did you notice what was happening in these two scenes? This family loves Ruby. They genuinely want to see her succeed. They even have good intentions, but at the end of the day, they just don't understand her. Because of their own baggage and their own background, they can't see Ruby for who she is and for the incredible gift that she possesses. In fact, they have their own expectations of what her life should look like. They need her to work for the family business before she goes to school. They need to translate her to translate for their doctors, their friends, and their other family members. They need her to do everything except the one thing she loves, singing. And maybe you can relate. Maybe family dinners for you are filled with awkward conversations about how you're not living up to expectations. Maybe it felt like everyone in your family fit and had a place, but you're still struggling to define yours because you chose to follow a different path. Maybe everyone else is getting married and your friends and your family keep asking the same dagger question, when is it going to be your turn? Maybe you've been trying to reach your kids, but it just feels like every attempt has somehow pushed them further and further away. Maybe you've been trying to carve out space for yourself at work, but it just feels like no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to get on the same page with your boss. Maybe you dropped off pumpkin scone people to your neighbors to blanket confused stairs. <laughs> Maybe you're like me, and you go to bed every night asking the question, 
who did I let down today? A long list of the people that you disappointed, your parents, your friends, your kids, your spouse, your boss, the person you cut off in traffic, your dog, your cat, the Starbucks barista, and the list can just go on and on and on. Has anyone been there? Yeah, all of us. Well, I've got good news for you today. If, if that's you, you're not alone. The person to the left and to the right of you right now understands. Um, but even more importantly, I think Jesus understands. If you go back to the, to the birth story, the Christmas story, watch the dysfunction that Jesus is born into. First off, he's, he's born to a teenage girl out of wedlock. Joseph is not his dad, so he has a stepdad and he has stepbrothers. Do you think that he uh, maybe just felt a little bit out of place, a little bit misunderstood by the people around him? I mean, think for yourself. Dude, do you want the Son of God to be your brother? Would you want to grow up sharing a bathroom with Jesus? And later on, in fact, as Jesus is an adult, at the very beginning of his ministry, he returns to his hometown. He goes to church with his family and gets the opportunity to speak in front of them. All the people that saw him grow up and think like maybe like Thanksgiving dinner at your house with all your extended family, the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, everyone's there. And Jesus jumps up and is given the prayer for the meal and he crushes it. Luke, one of the writers of the Bible, recounts what happens when Jesus speaks. Everyone looks at him. They say he all spoke well of him. They were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lip. And they said about him, isn't this Joseph's son? And they're sitting there listening to Jesus saying, "Woo, this Jesus guy, I like what he says. He's 30 years old. He's got tattoos looking good up there. You know Jesus. I know Jesus. This guy's the best. And they're all singing his praises. But then... Jesus begins to share some difficult truths to the people in front of them. And not even six verses later, the same people singing Jesus' praises begin to curse his name. I hope this doesn't happen the next time I preach a sermon here. Here's what Luke says happens. All the people in the synagogue were furious at him. They got up and they drove him out of town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him off a cliff. They're about to stone him to death. So what you can now do is add the entire town of Nazareth to the people and the long list of those that are disappointed with Jesus and just don't understand him. So then Jesus goes, He's got this great idea. I'm going to pick out a new crew of people, his boys, the 12 disciples, the ones that are going to be with him through thick and thin. They'll always have his back. You don't get to pick your family, but your boys, you get to pick those. Except that Jesus hailed from a small town and from an unknown dad. And so he's not the most well-known rabbi of his day. So he doesn't get the pick of the litter from the Ivy League Bible schools. In fact, none of his disciples graduated far enough to make it as a rabbinical student. So he has to settle for Peter and Andrew, who are backwood country fishermen from Galilee. Think like one step away from swamp people in Louisiana. But then he adds Nathaniel, who more than likely came from wealthy royal descent. The only problem is that these guys don't really get along with each other. It's like a fisherman from Louisiana and a politician from D.C. hanging out together trying to agree on anything. And then Jesus, just to spice it up, I think, says, nah, let's add Simon the Zealot, whose life mission is to overthrow the government. If there's like a disciple with a bunker in the desert, it's this guy. Um, no offense to anyone in New Jersey who's got a bunker in the desert. We still love you. You're welcome here. And then he adds Judas Iscariot 
who scholars think could have potentially belonged to an elite mercenary group called the Sakari. And these people would literally hide a dagger in their cloak. They would go to a huge public event. They would find a Roman official or a Roman sympathizer. They'd come up behind them and secretly stab them in the back in the middle of the crowd. And they cried out, a murder has happened. And in all the commotion, they would sneak away into the crowd. That's Judas Iscariot. And then this is my favorite part. Jesus then adds Matthew, the tax collector, who literally works for the Roman government. He's added into the group. So, uh, so imagine sitting there when Jesus announces to the group, hey, this is Matthew. He works for the Roman government. You guys are going to love him. He's going to fit in really, really great here. Disappointment through and through. So if you're following along and keeping score, Jesus essentially has a merry gang of healthy, well-adjusted disciples that he gets to sit around the campfire with every night singing Kumbaya. Not the case. Imagine for a second Jesus trying to meet the expectations of this crew. It's just not possible. In fact, in Acts 1, Luke recounts one more moment where Jesus has to let the people around him down. He's literally just died and rose from the dead. The resurrection has just happened, and he sits down with the boys for another meal. And he's got to be thinking in his mind, now I've done it. Purchase the souls of all humanity. Check. Defeat Satan and death once and for all. Check. What more is there for me to do except sit down and share a meal with my boys? And then the disciples sit down, and they start to say, hey, that raising from the dead thing, super, super cool. Never seen that before. But here's what we're really, really wondering. Lord, Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what they're essentially telling him is that the resurrection wasn't enough. Jesus, are you ready to overthrow Rome and give us our country back? Because that's what we really care about. Do you know what all of this tells us? Listen in right here. You can say everything right you can do everything right. You can be absolutely perfect as a human. And the people around you, because of their baggage and their backgrounds, will still be let down by you. You can rise from the literal dead and people will still ask for more from you. And I'll tell you this, it's not just a Jesus thing. This isn't just a coda thing. This is a human thing. Another way of saying it is you can't be everything for everybody. I know this is true because I watched it happen in Yari's life. I came home one day from work. And it was the middle of the school day around noon, and I was surprised because she was sitting outside on the front porch by herself. And I walked over. I said, hi. I began to ask, like, hey, why aren't you in school? She was a bit coy, and she, she said, oh, I don't have school today. I thought, that's weird. All the other kids have school, but you, you don't? I eventually got to the bottom of it. The day before in class, Yari had gotten into a fist fight with another student, so she was at home serving a suspension. The other student had spoken ill about her family, and Yari felt like it was her responsibility to protect their honor. And I later found out that this was just one of nearly a dozen suspensions that she had served over the last five years for the exact same reason. And that's when I began to get a, a glimpse into the intense pressure that this young girl was under. Every morning of Yari's life started at 4 a.m. with her making sure her young siblings woke up, got dressed, had their breakfast, and made it to the school bus. As soon as school let out, there was no time for sports or fun because she had to be the first person home to make sure that they had gotten their lunch 
and that the kids had gotten their homework done. And every time the phone rang at the house, it had to be handed to Yara because she assumed the responsibility of family translator. Every doctor visit, every school meeting, every homework assignment, letter and note, all translated by this young girl. Every person in her life was relying on her, and it was crushing her. And that's exactly what happens in our movie. Ruby takes on the baggage and the expectations of her parents. And she vows, just like Yari, that she's going to work harder to make everyone around her happy. She's going to work and translate for the business. She's going to be the best friend possible. She's going to chase after her dream as a singer and make her teacher proud. She's going to rise to the occasion for every single person around her. But watch the results of this type of thinking. get up in your business for just a minute? If you're honest with yourself, how much of your life is spent trying to live up to the expectations of the people around you? No matter how much Ruby tries, she can't make everyone happy. The harder she works, the more exhausted she becomes. The more she lets people down, the harder she has to work to make it back up to them, the more exhausted she becomes, and the cycle goes on and on and on. I just hope you're catching this theme that you can't be everything for everybody. What that means is, is you can't be the friend your child wants. 
You can't be responsible for your spouse's happiness. You can't work enough hours to finally impress your boss. Your house will never be clean enough for your critical in-laws. You can't carry the burden of every single one of your friends. You can't serve enough at Liquid Church to earn God's favor. You'll never be able to find the magic words that are gonna bring back your strange child. You'll never convince the world of social media that you're worth following, no matter how beautiful the picture of your dinner is. You can't solve all of your neighborhood challenges with pumpkin, pumpkin spice cones. You can't be everything for everybody. I want to be super clear. I'm not telling you this because I'm worried that you're going to let the people around you down. Jesus' story tells us that letting people down is just inevitable. I'm worried that in trying to be everything for everybody, you'll fall short of being you. I'm worried that you'll follow every hope, every dream, every wish of the people around you that you become all that your parents wanted and expected you to be, all that your spouse had set in front of you, that you get the house and the car that'll finally impress your friends, that you will be all that this world tells you to be, but that you'll still miss out on the incredible purpose that God has for your life. You'll still miss out on who God created you to be. And last week, we talked through the incredible purpose that God has for our lives. Jeremiah 1 says that God formed you with a plan and a purpose while you were still in the womb. Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 1 Peter 4 says that God gifted you in a unique way. Jeremiah 29 teaches that God has a plan to prosper us and not to harm us. Proverbs 16, everything was made for a purpose. 1 Peter 2, you are chosen by God. Isaiah 64, we are clay in the potter's hands. Can I speak truth over you? You are special. You are unique. You are a gift from God. So stop selling yourself short of what God has for you by chasing after what everyone else might think of you. Stop listening to the complaints of man and grab hold to the commands of God. Step away from the slavery of others' expectations and grab hold of the freedom that comes from living out your God-given purpose. Are you with me? Good. Because now the question comes, how do we do this? How can we remain ourselves while so many people around us have so many expectations of us? And the answer to this question might actually be a little bit easier than you think. There's this moment where where Ruby reaches the, the end of her rope. She's come to realize that she can't be everything for everybody, and she finally puts her foot down. Let's see what we can learn from her. Never be a good time. I can't stay with you for the rest of my life.
This is exhausting. Is anyone else exhausted? Exhausted of trying to meet the overwhelming expectations of our world? But notice that Ruby breaks free from those expectations and she has this brilliant moment of courage where she says, no. She informs her family that she wants to go to college and that she cannot continue to be everything that they want her to be. And I love this scene because it reminds me of a similar moment of courage in Jesus' ministry. Multiple times throughout the scriptures, Jesus' family comes after him and they try to bring him back home. They're embarrassed by him. They want him to stop teaching. They want him to stop his ministry and to stop making waves in the community. And remember, they they loved him. They cared about him. They even thought that what they were doing was what was best for him. But watch Jesus' response when his family calls for him. We pick up the story in in Matthew 12. Here's what Matthew writes. He says that while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brother stood outside waiting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and your brother, they're standing outside and they want to talk to you, Jesus. And Jesus replies back to them, who's my mother? Who's my brother? And then he points over to his disciples. And he says, here are my mother and here are my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And this sounds really, really harsh for Jesus to say this about his family. But what he is saying is that the authority for his life is not what his mother has to say. The authority for his life is not what his brother has to say. That authority is the will of God. And he's essentially saying that the purpose on earth that he's here for is more important than the expectations of his family. And so he tells them no. And again, I know that sounds harsh. But imagine for a second if he hadn't said no. What if Jesus had listened to his family? What if he'd stopped teaching? We wouldn't have much to talk about today for sure. Imagine if he'd he'd stopped his ministry, if he went back home, if he never went to the cross. Imagine if he didn't raise from the dead. Imagine the danger of Jesus saying yes to everyone in his life. And then if you can, just imagine for a second if you said yes every desire, want, and expectation of the people around you. It just doesn't work. So I think if Jesus were here, he would tell us that you have the permission to say no. The real question is, what do you need to say no to? Do you need to say no to your workplace that's asking you to give even more time away from your family? Do you need to say no to the opportunity for your child, as talented as they may be, because you know it's going to take up every inch of margin in your schedule? Do you need to say no to social media for a season because it's only serving as a reminder that you're not measuring up? Do you need to say no to buying that new flashy thing because it's standing in the way of the generous life that God is calling you to? Do you need to say no to that toxic relationship that you're staying in because you're afraid to be alone? Do you need to say no to the shame and guilt that you keep speaking over yourself? Who do you need to say no to this week? What is stepping in the way of who God has called you to be? What's keeping you from using the God-given gifts that you have? What expectation from others is holding you back? You can't be everything for everybody. So together, let's say no. One, two, three, no. Are you with me? But here's the problem. There's a bit of fear attached to saying no, isn't there? 
if I say no to the people around me, if I disagree, maybe they'll stop showing up. And there's this lie that that if we stand up for ourselves, we think it's just going to push people away. And I have to tell you, sometimes that is true. But what I found way more often is that it's absolutely irresistible to see someone living out their purpose and living in their gifting. People are drawn to authenticity, not offended by it. In fact, that's exactly what Ruby discovers. She has a moment of courage and she tells her family, no, I'm going to college. And in that moment, she has no control and no idea of how her family is going to respond. They might reject her, they might push her away, they might disown her. But instead, drawn in by her authenticity, they rally around her. They actually show up to her school assembly to watch her sing. And in fact, in one of the most final and and powerful scenes of the movie, Ruby's dad leans in and tries to understand his daughter's gift just a little bit better. We get to watch this sweet moment unfold together. Sacrifice for you, dedicate my life to you. I will go where you lead, always there in time of need. And when I lose my will, you'll be there to push me up the hill. There's no, no looking back for us. We got love, sure enough, that's enough. You're all, all that I need to get by. I, uh, I, I love the vulnerability of this moment. Ruby is authentically living out her true self. She's living in the gift that she has been given. Dad sees that gift and he wants to be part of it. He wants to experience it. And in other words, all that Ruby has to offer her dad was herself. And it's dad's decision and the family's decision of how they choose to respond. And honestly, that right there is all that you can be responsible for. You're not responsible for how people are going to respond to you saying no. You're not responsible to save the people around you. You're not responsible to always have the right things to say. You're not responsible to always have the right things to do. You're not responsible for giving people everything they want. You are only responsible for giving people the authentic, real you. You could say it like this. 
You can't be everything for everybody, but being you is enough for somebody. Being you is enough for somebody. Do you know how I learned this lesson? It was taught to me by pumpkin spice scones and a magic tree. I'll tell you what I mean. As we heard Yari's story, my wife and I made the decision that we were going to do everything we could to help. It started with us choosing to spend our evenings in the front yard under the tree so that when she got home, we could spend time with her. As we began to see her more and more and more, it was our personal mission to see her life turned around. My wife started attending the parent-teacher conferences so that we can get updates from her teachers on how she was doing. We helped cover some of the babysitting of the younger kids to free up Yari's schedule. We opened up our home every afternoon and made her sit there and study next to me while I worked. We attended her sports games. We brought her to church. I even started taking Spanish classes so that I could better communicate with the family. That was not one of my most successful endeavors. I gave her dad lectures about how important her future was. And after three years, check this, after three years of investment, none of it made a bit of difference. She was further behind in classes than ever. She was failing more classes than ever. She was one strike away from final expulsion at the high school. And I remember one night sitting across from Casey in the living room in near tears. We were defeated and we were ready to give up. We sat there and we had the most desperate conversation. I said, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to change? Should we say something different? Should we do something different? This just, it's just not working. And if I'm honest with you guys, I was ready to throw in the towel and just let it go. And it was right at that moment that the doorbell rang. It was Yari. We welcomed her into our living room, and I could tell she was in deep thought about something because of how serious her face was. And I braced myself, assuming that we were about to receive some more bad news. And she opened up her mouth and began to speak, but it wasn't actually bad news. It were the words, thank you. And then she began to tell us that ever since we moved next door, our entire life has changed. Everything feels different. She said, I feel like I'm an entirely different person because of you. And I leaned in because I think I just needed a little bit of good news. I was just desperate to hear something good. I said, wow, that's so great to hear. Was it something that I said? And she said, no, those dad talks are pretty boring and you kind of tell too many stories. I'm guilty. Was it something that I did? Remember, I showed up to your, your game with the sign and I, I cheered you on. She said, no, that's actually really embarrassing. I wouldn't be meaning to talk to you about that. If you could not do that anymore, that'd be great. My wife chimed in across the room. It was the scones, wasn't it? And Yari said, no, you know only white girls eat those. <laughs> and then she paused for a minute. She like she was collecting her thoughts. And she said, you know what it was? It was the magic tree you have outside your house. And I was so confused. I didn't realize that I had a magic tree, so I asked more. And that's when she pulled back her sleeve. And she revealed row after row after row of cuts all the way up her arms. And she went, she went on to explain that for her whole life, she felt the pressure of the world around her. And she knew she could never live up to her. Her whole life just felt so exhausting and crushing that she never knew what to do with the pain and that cutting was the only escape that she could find. You can't be 
everything for everybody. It'll kill you. And then she said, but something changed when you guys moved next door. I haven't cut myself a single time since that day three years ago. And every night when I feel like cutting, I, I go and I sit underneath your tree. It must be magic because every time I sit there and it just feels like home. I just feel this peace. I feel this, this hope and I can't explain where it comes from. And she looked up and she asked, does that, does that make any sense to you guys? You must think that I'm crazy. Liquid Church, we do not have a magical tree in our front yard. Do you know what we do have, though? We have a God that heals wounds, even if they're self-inflicted. We have a God that brings hope when things feel hopeless. We have a God that brings peace in the midst of chaos. We have a God that brings freedom to the oppressed. And I leaned into that conversation with Yari, and I got to tell her about the real source of her healing. Watch how this works. Watch how this works. It wasn't my job to fix Yari's life. It wasn't my job to save her. Yari didn't need another person placing more expectations on her. She didn't need us saying the right things. She didn't need us doing the right things. She didn't need anything from us. She needed us. And here's why us was enough. It's because our God is enough. It's our God who meets all of our needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And it just so turns out that us is enough because we have a God who doesn't deal in magic trees. He deals in hope. He deals in faith. He deals in transformation. And he is the one that gives everything according to his riches. Yari wasn't just meeting us. She was meeting the goodness of our God. And it was because of him that her life was changed. It's because of him that being you is enough for somebody. Are you with me? And honestly, if it was up to me, I would end this sermon right here. <laughs> but remember, this is an Oscar-winning best picture and not an angsty indie film. So in true Hollywood fashion, here's the beautiful, happy ending that you are all hoping for. Ruby's family recognizes her gift and moves the world to make sure she gets an audition at the prestigious music school, Berkeley. But remember, they're still dysfunctional and still a tad bit codependent. So, of course, they snuck into the closed audition because they couldn't let her do it on her own. Here is the ending of Coda. I've looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down and still somehow It's cloud illusions I recall I really don't know clouds at all. Moons and dunes and Ferris wheels, the dizzy dancing way you feel as every fairy tale comes real I've looked at love that way but now it's just another show you leave them laughing when you go and if you care don't let them know don't give yourself away to love.
recall I really don't know love at all I know I know right Hollywood hasn't cornered the market on happy innings. In fact, I, I think they stole that move from our God. He's the master of redeeming stories that just seem so hopeless. About two years after the magic tree incident, I flew across the country back to Southern California. And I, uh, I showed up at a graduation and I watched a young girl walk across the stage in cap and gown a girl that for so long had believed that that moment was absolutely impossible because no one in her family had ever done it before. And I knew exactly which girl it was because she covered her face in full embarrassment as she walked across that stage. And every single person there knew who I was because I was holding the biggest and most obnoxious sign possible. Everyone else knew who I was because I also held down a foghorn for way, way than longer than was socially acceptable. Families are dysfunctional, aren't they? And this is a picture of that day, of that graduation. That's right, Yari graduated on time and was the first person in her family to do so. A couple weeks later, I got to hang um, with her in San Diego. And uh, here's another picture of that moment. Winter, my daughter thinks, uh, <laughs> thinks she's the coolest person in the entire world, as you can tell. As we sat down for breakfast, we recounted the magic tree, all those hard years in high school, and how different her life looks now. We talked about her family and about how they're just about as dysfunctional as they've always been. And then we talked about the at-risk youth that she is mentoring as a boxing coach. Yep, she's no longer getting in fights at school. She's helping at-risk youth sort out their lives. And she listed the names of each of these kids that are driving her crazy. And she told me all about the things that she's saying to them and doing for them and about how hard they are to reach. And I got to gently remind her, Yara, you can't be everything for everybody, but you can be you for somebody. Liquid Church, what do you need to say no to? What's getting in the way of who God is calling you to be? Let's have the courage to be our authentic selves and get out of the way so that God can do his things. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you so much that you've created us with a purpose and a plan. We pray that we'll stop listening to the world around us, the expectations of other people, that we would say no to those things and say yes to what you have for us. We pray that you would make those things known to us today and that we can step into them guide our paths. And we know, Lord, you are going to tell incredible stories in us and through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.